0: Hey everyone, this is Justin. If you're a fan of the show, you could really help us out by heading over to iTunes and giving us a rating and review. Thanks for listening. Tonight, we're all perked up to bring you a very special episode of This Is Happening America.
1: I'm Justin Mara. I'm Mark Betancourt, And Justin, I'm so excited for this episode because we get to talk about one of my favorite things. Coffee. I love coffee. Well, you're a writer, so you kind of live off the stuff, don't you? You better believe it. Mark,
0: how do you take your coffee? black like my soul wow that's that's
1: just strange man and psychotic enough of the javascript hit the theme song You not at this time.
0: In our efforts to continue bringing you news that's local somewhere, we're traveling all the way to Oakland, California, where a local coffee roaster has been bringing you great coffee that isn't just for jerks. Industry Coffee Roasters is the brainchild of co-founders Ryan Mahoney and Aaron Lanimpha, whose paths first crossed over, you guessed it, coffee they decided to open up the business of their dreams with great world-class Java in an
1: approachable atmosphere. We're not getting paid to say any of the good things you're about to hear. We just think they make some awesome coffee. So after contacting the owners about our podcast, we were lucky enough to have co-founder Aaron Laninfa join us over a chat room for some coffee talk. What follows is a conversation we had with Aaron earlier this month.
0: We are here with Aaron Leninfa, uh coming to you from... Oakland, California. Say hi, Aaron. Hi. <laughs> it's okay. Um, this is just going to be an audio podcast. So any funny faces that we make at each other, the audience will, will not uh, get to see that unless we allow them to later in post.
1: Aaron, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
2: Of course. Um,
1: we're, we're really excited because Justin and I are both of uh, very big coffee connoisseurs. And you happen to have a, a, a business and a company in Oakland, California that makes really good coffee. We're actually both <laughs> drinking it right now. <laughs> We're really- it's absolutely delicious. It is.
0: In preparation for this episode, we Googled what to look for in a Sumatra. And, and what did you the, find? The, the level of acidity, the texture, the weight and,
1: you know, high marks across the board, Aaron. This is a fantastic coffee. Yeah. You hit all the notes. Aaron, just like, first off, talk about your small business and, and what you, uh, what you decided to do with, uh, with coffee and how you got inspired to start your own coffee, uh, business.
2: Ooh, (laughs) good question. Uh, so I, I, like you guys, I love coffee. I'm probably, uh, I'm not as fancy as you, Googling what Sumatra should be. But uh, I worked at Starbucks for the better part of 10 years, God help me. Uh, and I worked at a restaurant cafe after. So coffee's always been in my life. It's inevitable. <laughs> uh, my business partner, Ryan, is not here with me. Um, Ryan and I really wanted to do something. We saw it back home in you know New York, Providence area of uh, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts atmosphere is really approachable and easy to walk into and get coffee from, but the coffee sucks. And then we moved here and there are places like Blue Bottles, Cyglass, Intelligentsia, which have really, really good coffee, but the atmosphere is so pretentious and off-putting, condescending, that we, we really wanted to bridge the gap and be the middle ground of and that, that's why our, our motto is, great coffee isn't just for jerks. <laughs> so, uh, people. Fantastic motto. <laughs> I like great coffee, and I hope
1: I, I don't come off as a jerk, although Justin edits me and makes me sound like a jerk sometimes. It's what I do. It's why we have a podcast.
2: Well, Ryan and I together are both pretty relaxed people, very knowledgeable people about many, many things. So we've always liked to surprise people, perhaps with um, – their first meeting of us anyway so we wanted that to really be at the forefront of our coffee company of hey like we know what we're doing we just might be able to tell a joke or two along the way and that's okay i imagine I it's imagine- a good
0: icebreaker yeah for sure erin in your opinion what makes the perfect cup of coffee what do you look for
2: For standard, obviously, the perfect cup of coffee is proportion, uh, the water you use, and the grind. Those are accurate, of course. Uh, For me personally, I think that's really... The perfect ideal coffee is really objective. (laughs) So for me, that that even I own a coffee company, it still varies throughout the day. You know, if I'm hungover and I just need something, I'm just hurting for coffee. I will like diner coffee serves a very specific purpose. And I love diner coffee for that reason. Yeah, I get that very often. Do you? You know, you don't drink coffee out anymore? Oh no, I drink coffee out all the time. (laughs) Um, And I. You know, I do, when I go home, I love going to Dunkin' Donuts, maybe not every day, but you have to really be in that mood. There's something very different about having, you know, a fancy cold brew coffee uh, or going to, walking in Dunkin' Donuts and getting a 60,000 ounce, you know, heavily laden French vanilla, God knows what coffee. Like, it's really pertains to your situation. For me, I personally don't like my coffees over-roasted too much. I'm more of a medium roast person, so that's where we took our company.
0: Sumatra to me was always a very, very dark, very heavy coffee. Um, yours is very light and um, very clear. It's Why?
1: it's yeah. almost it's almost fruity. Yeah,
0: yes. and a lot of the Sumatras I I drink are are darker and heavier.
2: The reason that is, and the reason that I was. I was really anxious about making our Sumatra the way we did for the same reason, because I come from Starbucks where Starbucks has a branded coffee, Sumatra. That was actually my favorite coffee when I worked there. I loved those dark roast coffees. those really in your face coffees. Um, and I loved all those Asian Pacific coffees anyway. And they have a lot of character, a lot of verbal notes to them, but I really, um, so when we were able to acquire some in my head, I still had the notion that it would end up that way. But I also know that those coffees are so over-roasted and takes away all those little nuances um, that we don't really get to see otherwise. It just leaves those really strong, strong flavors that, you know, the bay leaf, the basil, all that pale, like it, right in your face, savory flavors. And so we decided to scale it back a lot. And a lot, a lot of those more natural, quieter tones come out, which is where you get the fruitiness. Even, I was really surprised the first time I had the coffee that from us um so just not over roasting it The long and the short <laughs> as somebody who's lived
1: a decent part of his life on the east coast and the west coast it's like ghost mm-hmm. dunkin donuts reigns supreme on the west coast starbucks reigns supreme right how do you walk the line between you know two huge franchises and decide we're going to start our own roasting company and do what's natural for either the coffee bean or what we think the coffee should taste like
2: well uh i myself like you i spend a lot of time on the living on both coasts i have and my business partner as well so we kind of have the same the best of both worlds in our heads anyway Of okay we've seen crappy this way we've seen crappy this way how can we go in the middle and uh Coffee roasting itself, which I'd actually never done before starting this company, I'd never actually physically roasted coffee myself. Uh, it's a very finite process. It's there's a lot of it's very science oriented. Uh, we keep track of a lot of things, and truthfully, particularly with the Sumatra, when we first started, uh, we anticipated that it would not be roasted enough, and that we would have to roast the next batch longer. Um, And then we were pleasantly surprised with how it came out and said, you know what, let's just stick with this. Um, So it's taking a lot of notes, tracking a lot of data. They have all sorts of fancy apps and stuff. Sometimes we use them. Sometimes we just use a clipboard with a sheet. And uh, it's just a matter of a few seconds difference. And for us to say that's what we wanted to do, it wasn't even really a question of, well, how are we going to do this in a market with Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks? Cause we, we're not even factoring in them as competition or not, not trying. We're nowhere on that level. We're, we're specifically doing small lots, specialty, small scale. Right. So that way it can be good.
1: <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because, you know, most people when they, they tackle like the coffee industry, it's like, Oh, let's open up a coffee shop and let's have this amazing atmosphere with like all this great artwork and super comfy chairs and wi-fi
2: i think that is a a very common thing for sure um and i wouldn't say that's not and it works for us at some point Um, but we also live in the bay area which is the housing market is insane uh, a physical location would be ridiculously expensive. So there are those factors. And um, particularly running any sort of restaurant food thing here is an extremely risky, extremely expensive endeavor. So aside from those factors, um, uh, my business partner and I both just worked in cafes for so long. Uh, I just personally feel a little burnt out on on latte. If I never have to make a latte again, like oof. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've made, I did at the math and I've made hundreds of thousands of lattes, mochas, God knows what in my time. So for me personally, we really want to steer away from coffee shops. Um, we'll do pop-ups with places, mostly food places, and that's how we're accessible in the community really, but we're not really looking to do a, a Coffee shop per se. The coffee shops are great. We still go to coffee shops all the time, um, we, and we work out at them very often. We meet pe- with people there. We try different stuff. Um, but I think for us personally, it would just be really—it's just a little too much.
0: How important has environment been to shaping um, a new business, a startup?
2: It's uh, <laughs> the most important. <laughs> um, here, just in small businesses in general, have, in my own opinion, just way more resources here than where I grew up. Um, New York has a lot too, but you know, New York's just, it's New York, it's wild. Uh, but all these tech companies are here. We got our funding, our community sponsored loan, which is wild anyway. Uh, it was half sponsored by Google. They're just tech industries are seeding for better for worse, um, putting money back into communities and there are so many small business ventures because there's so many people here with ideas. There are so many different ways to access capital and to collaborate with one another because things are so expensive here. So the environment here is is constantly progressive. It's, it's constantly engaging. Um, it's a very ambitious place to be, which is good because it keeps you on your toes, which is what you need when you're running a small business. You need to be forward-thinking, and the environment here certainly is... <laughs>
1: And Lord knows you need something to keep you on your toes. Yes.
0: <laughs> so uh, tech companies are, are seeding the environment with capital for startups, but what's it like being a small business owner in a think tank of giant companies?
2: Oh, goodness. You know, it's really... <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Um I I think I have a really almost rare experience here in that I do a lot of work for um, tech companies and I do a lot of volunteer work as well. So over the course of my day, uh, like last Wednesday, for example, I started my day at a um, job training program in San Francisco, um, which is mostly centered around women who are in the tech industry. And then after that, I went to a uh, teaching teaching job i do part-time in east oakland (laughs) um so teaching literacy to students who are two or three grades behind where they're supposed to be the reading levels so i went from like tech in san francisco to teaching reading in east oakland and then after that i had to come back to um berkeley for a small business women's entrepreneurship group and i think that gave me like the full spectrum of like the sphere here uh, it's kind of wild so for like what you said um to answer your question it can be really daunting sometimes but i think instead of feeling maybe um, a little terrified of that <laughs> um, utilizing them for the exposure they give and um the money that they do have because they often do a lot of you know seed accelerator events or like for us the um Google sponsoring part of our loan, things like that. Um, they are interested in giving back to small businesses. It's just a matter of you, you working at it the right way. But it can definitely be intimidating. But it's intimidating just living here sometimes. So, wow, my goodness! Like Twitter is right there. <laughs> kind of wild that basically everything I've built my own personal identity around for my entire life—every like magazine subscription I've ever had, every product I use, or company I really like—is based right here. <laughs>
1: Aaron well you know when you're talking about like and obviously like you guys are a coffee roasting company and most people just want the caffeine others of us who are a little more you know with it we want our coffee to actually taste good so what goes into the process with you and your business partner and your company as far as picking the the beans you're gonna use to 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 sell.
2: My business partner handles most of the selection, but I do help him. Um we're just very curious people and he's a very creative person. He's much more creative than I am. And um so he, you know, we all we each have our favorites anyway. Um but we buy small lots. There is an importer um very close here in Oakland called Sweet Maria's that we really like and pretty much, you know it's trial and error. We sometimes take green samples from the coffee roasting place. um, Just trying new things. They're small lots, so if we like it, we just buy it all. And sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, I've been reading a little bit about this, or something like Sumatra. I've had Sumatra, what I think Sumatra is in my head, and this has Sumatra on it. Let's check it out. Um, A lot of the coffees we've been buying, like the Congo... um, There is the Zambia, Um, they're from countries that notoriously have very good coffee, but also have a lot of um, political turmoil. And so the fact that they can start having coffee beans for sale, one, obviously boosts their economy, but two, um, it shows that the the politics are on the mend there, which is a good sign. So we're kind of quick to jump on those things um, because the coffee is great, but but also um, it's, it's showing progress and it's new and it hasn't been around for a while
1: what that that's actually a really interesting point you just brought up it's like you know oftentimes it's like for consumers they just go to the register and order whatever they order like how much does um does politics influence exporting and exporting oh
2: it's kind of wild so I have a keen interest on global um, politics and global economics anyway just as a human I love data numbers and I love seeing connections and things and those are really really important when you look at how the world interacts with each other but I never thought about it for coffee I never put my life with coffee with that part of my life um, and now that I'm this is my job I uh, it's been a really interesting process. It's really, really heavily intertwined. Um, and as you can imagine, uh, the way capitalism interacts with the coffee trade can be a little sure. problematic from time to time. Um, so you have the, the main four humongous companies that basically dictate how the market works. Um, but that also affects, you know it, it affects how everyone, like the people, the farmers are in their respective countries are affected by how much pay they get. and the quality is affected because if they're not getting paid enough, they're not working enough to like, they're not being particular enough. So then they're selling out a crappy coffee. Yeah. Um, it's, they're all, um, at, when I first started reading about it, it kind of made me angry. <laughs> um, yeah, And one of the, I mean, we're doing the best that we can with, you know, being sensitive to all those ideas. It is a hard process, but we can't pretend it's not, um,
0: one of the things that uh, Elise and I always try and do um, when we're purchasing coffee is look for uh, fair trade, the fair trade logo, um, to make sure that you know people are being treated ethically and humanely. But right. recently, I was mm-hmm. I
2: was reading like even that is, it, yeah, on... it's another kind of level of bureaucracy that yeah. um, is so not necessarily
0: with farmers and growers themselves.
2: I'm sorry, what was that?
0: Uh, are we industry? coffee roasters you guys um with,
2: we are uh, we, none of the coffees we have right now have that process behind it um but we actually in the next few months and um if you've had our honduras coffee i hope you like it because uh, our friend actually owns his own coffee farm in honduras so that's our next big step um we'll hopefully be going to honduras by the end of the year awesome. checking his farm and getting stuff directly from him so we're going to have honduran coffees uh regularly Um, which is great because they were amazing. (laughs) So that's coming just around the river bend for us. Um, And we'd like to do more of that stuff as we're able to.
0: So where, where do you guys want to take industry coffee roasters in the future?
1: Like what's your five year plan for the company? What's your, what's your 12 month plan for the company?
2: (laughs) You sound like my investors for us personally. uh, We, we put our own money into this and obviously a lot of time. So, uh, I think I'll be gracious and say I'm not a millionaire. Um, And, you know, we particularly around here, we see a lot of people who start new things and have lots of venture capital and money throwing in. And, and, you know, good on them if you can do that. But we didn't really see a way to do that. So um, we're kind of going slow and steady wins the race here. But um, for the next few weeks, we're launching subscription boxes. um, So people who really want our coffee can have it just mailed to them, and it'll be really effortless. Um, That's the new big thing coming up. We're trying to explore more um, and we're, we're partnering a lot with the small places here. Um, there's a lot of coffee company. So like, there's a lot of coffee in Bay Area in general. So we're trying to work with um, up and coming places that are smaller, kind of like us. They're putting their own money forward. And Hey, how can we help you? Um, a friend of mine just started a really amazing brunch pop-up. So we provide coffee for him. Um, supporting our friends and the people around us. Um, we're donating to the Oakland Veg Week, which is up and coming up in May, uh, really, we're we're really rather than going buck natty, crazy, um, trying to find the right opportunities and really like working with those people. And as long as I have free coffee, I'm pretty happy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when you wake up, when you wake up in the morning and you brew your own cup of coffee, what's the, Mm. what, what, What's the piece de resistance to it? It's like, what, what, what's breakfast like with Erin with once she's had a cup of her own
2: coffee? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I'm a French press kind of person. I don't know if I should say, I can't say that in the Bay Area, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a French press kind of person. So that yes. way I get myself a sweet cup and a half. I'm kind of a, I'm a really busy, crazy lady. So i usually, I'm home like throwing some frantic run out the door in the morning but that's usually sure what my morning looks like <laughs> take us take us back to
0: that first um batch of coffee that you guys roasted what, Oof, what okay was it like seeing what was it like seeing that first batch of coffee come out of the roaster
2: <laughs> to be honest with you i was a thousand percent terrified of the entire process um if you've never roasted coffee, um, or you know, <laughs> never thought about it, which I hadn't for most of my life, uh, it's a gigantic machine. It gets very hot, and I am very clumsy. I am very prone to accidents, and I was expecting to burn the building down, uh, lose an arm. Uh, a finger at the very least. <laughs> um, and we actually had someone with us, a trained individual with us. He was super supportive. He was like, you got this. And I was like, no, we're going to ruin everything, waste tons of money, time, like my face is going to melt off, something wild's going to happen. Um, so when we got it through the process and dropped it out and let it dry, it was like, okay, I did that part. Like I did the tangible part, but now it has still, it can still taste terrible. <laughs> Like I was really anticipating something going wrong, to be honest with you. And when we got back to the house and grounded up and had a cup right, um, I, I almost wanted it to be bad because I wanted it to reaffirm all my wild neuroses and fears. And it was great. <laughs> so I felt awesome after that, but it was a long process. Yeah. But it feels awesome. And it feels strange to drink coffee and be like, this is great. And I did this. It's strange, but it's nice.
0: So it's that sense of accomplishment, fulfillment, where, where does that... Where does that take you? What's next
2: in life? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm always working on projects. Um, one of the volunteer things I do right now is I do social media marketing for a, um, a suicide prevention app that's coming out. So for people who, um, suspect their friend, whoever um, might attempt suicide, how to engage that situation and how to with the next steps. So I do marketing for them. um, I have ADHD, so I run a group of high-performing young adults who also have ADHD, and we're working on collecting resources and getting, you know, expert interviews and really helping other people like us um, kind of move past their ADHD symptoms. Uh, I do a lot, (laughs) but I'm always going to do that. Um, For industry, like I said, subscription boxes are coming out. Excellent. I've been trying, I've been involved a lot lately in a lot of um, female entrepreneur groups, which I'm very, very fortunate and blessed to even be in um, and working on a lot of uh, female-owned local small business stuff here in California and um, particularly other businesses owned by um, people of color and just really trying to share all the resources I've had the joy experiencing with other people.
0: It's been truly wonderful talking with you and uh, thank you so much for being our first interview. This was
1: fantastic.
2: Of course. Thanks awesome. for having me.
1: Thank you so much, Aaron. It was a pleasure meeting mm-hmm. you. Me too. Cheers. Industry Coffee Roasters is a
0: Bay Area startup in Oakland, California. You can find their products at industrycoffeeroasters.com. Thanks to co-founder Aaron Lanimpha for joining us via Zoom. And that brings us to this week's installment of News That's Local Somewhere,
1: because just like politics, all news is local somewhere. Mark, what's your first story? Well, uh, I've got a science article here, because uh, we love science, too. And this one comes from uh, NBC News, where uh, we've got a new discovery, a new species of moth with a wingspan of just 0.4 inches. that's tiny. It's very tiny. It's very tiny. But the reason why uh, this article caught my eye is because they decided to name the species after our president. <laughs> <laughs> because oh so, oh I know why yeah the, the Neopalpa Donald Trump Eye <laughs> uh, was discovered by a researcher from Ottawa, Canada named Vazirik Nazari. Uh, the, the, the moth's habitat extends from Southern California in the U.S. through Baja, California in Mexico. Uh, and uh, there's a picture of the little fella here. And uh, you can kind of see why he's just <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> because it's, it's – That's says, amazing. It has it's, a it it's, has a comb over. It, it's got Trump's it, – it's basically – it looks like – if it, trump were a moth no, with it his really his style, does
0: it really does look like this tiny moth is wearing donald trump's hair
1: yeah um so it's, uh, it, it's thank you for sharing that mark yeah it's uh it's disti- according to nazari its distinctive wing pattern and its unique dna barcode immediately flagged it as a new and undescribed species um the shapes of certain folds and pouch like structures on and donald trump's genitalia were also unique to the species uh the zari wrote in the study oh that's that's some serious shade mark it is what do you got my man
0: okay a hotel has opened in israel that is being billed as the view that is the worst in the world that's not a good
1: marketing ploy is it well or is it maybe maybe so the owner of
0: this hotel is a uh, world-renowned mysterious artist banksy are you familiar with Banksy? No, he's a mystery to me. Well, <laughs> I see what you did there, Mark. <laughs> so uh, Banksy has opened the version of the Waldorf Astoria in Israel, uh-huh. and uh, it is a walled-off hotel. Get it? <laughs> so <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes, the walled-off hotel may sound utilitarian, even bleak. Its owner says it has the worst view of any hotel in the world. While it's just ten rooms gets just 25 minutes of direct sunlight a day. It's nestled against a controversial barrier wall separating Israel from the Palestinian territories in the West Bank. Oh. Yes. Why? Yes. So the walled off offers travelers something more elusive than any luxury destination. The y- lodging y- in y- it a get- best- crossfire? <laughs> no. Well, it's a very high wall. <laughs> <laughs> the lodging in the- it offers uh, a museum protest gallery and it's all packed with artwork and angry brilliance of its own. Wow. Yes. Uh, The disconcertingly lavish presidential suite where the water splashes from a bullet-strafed water tank into the hot tub to bunk beds in the budget room scavenged from an abandoned army barracks, the hotel is playful and strongly political.
1: That doesn't sound sound playful at all.
0: All the rooms look out onto the concrete slabs of wall, and some have views over into pillboxes and an Israeli settlement. Uh, Pillbox like foxhole. Yeah, I got you. Walls are hot right now. But I was into them long before Donald Trump made it cool, said Banksy in a statement. The artist who fiercely guards his anonymity first came to Bethlehem more than a decade ago, leaving the series of paintings on the barrier wall that have become tourist destinations in their own right. Since then, the town's pilgrims and sightseeing-based economy has been ravaged by ever-tightening Israeli control over the travel between Israel and Palestine territories. And so the new hotel is expected to provide a welcome boost in jobs and visitor numbers. I disagree with that.
1: That just sounds like a horrible idea. That sounds like a horrible, terrible place.
0: Well, here is your here is your, your view from the presidential suite. Yeah, look, that looks terrible. Here
1: is the walled-off hotel, front, front entrance. Well, I, the front entrance is very nice. Here's a statue in the museum. Okay, well, that's nice. Well, the bellhop's in a, in a vest, so that makes it better. What else you got, Mark? I found my next story uh, from the weird news section of the Huffington Post. Which I typically like to frequent for this segment, because they always end up with a real humdinger. And did you get a humdinger for us, Mark? I, I got no. I got an X man. Oh, a it, real life X man. Do tell. It's amazing. So this this guy is so powerful. He's become his own tourist attraction. Uh, he's been marketing himself. And this is how he's been making a living. He's 47 years old, uh, based out of Chicago. Dipped himself in molten steel and calls himself Colossus. Uh, No, but he can stick anything to his skin. (laughs) (laughs) And is known as the Cuban suction cup.
2: (laughs)
0: We will definitely link you to this one. Um, the picture I'm looking at is just a man with a water bottle stuck to the front of his forehead.
1: And a couple of beer cans. Uh, so his name is Jamie Keaton, and he basically travels all over the world showing off the tricks he can do with his, uh, with his skin, which happens to be unusually sticky. Uh, he, he does in fact own a Guinness world record for most drink cans placed on, on the head using air suction, because of course that's a, that's a Guinness world record quote in the article. Everything sticks to me as long as it's got a hard surface. Look, and he can do tricks. He can pour bottles of water from his head. Isn't that awesome? That is, that is amazing. Listeners. All I'm going to say is
0: we're, uh, we're generating some serious content for you here. Um,
1: There's a lot of videos and gifts of, of him doing tricks. Oh my goodness! Um, he has uh, been to the doctors. Um, he the doctors say he is a rel- he's, an, he's a mutant. He he's a relatively healthy person. Uh, he doesn't have anything wrong with him, uh, and he doesn't have a he doesn't have a strange illness. It's just a mystery as to why his things stick to his him. skin is just so sticky. Look, that girl can't even pull that can off of his head. Can't do it. All right, Mark. Are you familiar with Lyme disease?
0: Uh, 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 yes. Spoiler This is a serious one. Oh, okay. This is why a serious do you always, one. You always bring the serious well, ones. Well, there's... It,
1: it be, because the story is absurd. Okay, fair enough. As long as it's absurd. This story is about
0: why your dog can get vaccinated against Lyme disease, but you can't.
1: Dogs are do- Dogs are better people than... Then oh, oh, no.
0: So um, What's if, happening? if
1: you or someone you know
0: has or is suffering from the effects of Lyme disease, um, you may be surprised to learn that there is a cure. There is a vaccine for Lyme disease. There is. There is. That's, well, that, that's a good thing. Uh, it is, except that if you are a human being, you cannot receive it. Why not? Uh, well, uh, Lyme disease is the only infection where we have a safe, effective vaccine, but it is not available to the public.
1: And, not, that uh, seems stupid. Uh,
0: yes. In 1975, a doctor named Alan Steer uh, was, at, was sent to Connecticut Town of Lyme to look into a mysterious cluster of kids who had gotten arthritis. And uh, four or five months into the investigation, they came to su- suspect ticks, which is uh, where the disease, Lyme disease came from, the town of Lyme, Connecticut. Um, they immediately began working on a treatment. Lyme disease was an epidemic by the 1990s, and particularly in the northeastern United States, uh-huh. uh, as you may know. And it's a blood-borne disease. And uh, they, they introduced a vaccine in 1998. Oh. Yep. And didn't Uh, tell anybody. Oh, no. They told lots of people and they did a bunch of studies. But then self-described vaccine victims came forward, perhaps similar to today's anti-vaxxers. Well, believe the MMR vaccine causes autism, but is not shown to cause autism in anyone. That's absurd. Yes. So this group of people got together and said that the Lyme vaccine gave them arthritis. And it got into popular law. It got onto the internet, which was brand new at the time uh, for most people. And there were a number of East Coast lawyers who actually started putting together class action lawsuits against the Lyme vaccine. And uh, today, you cannot receive it in the United States. But your dog can. can
1: loophole can you get the lyme disease vaccine for your dog and use it for yourself i'm glad
0: you asked that question mark there is a uh, rather shady trade of people going to veterinarians (laughs) and convincing (laughs) them to inject them with the lyme vaccine that is intended for dogs of course um The Food and Drug Administration and the Centers for Disease Control looked into the claims and continued to recommend that people exposed to tick-infested areas get the vaccine. Uh, But the the media campaign on the internet and news, the damage was done. And uh, today, your dog can get a a vaccine, which uh, what it does is it puts an antibody into your system that infects the tick and renders the bacteria in the tick inert so it's it's a vaccine, and it also renders the tick unable to infect anyone else.
1: Right. Yeah. But, but we can't have it. Can't get it. Can't get it unless you're a dog. Unless you're a dog or a cat or or, or a cat or you're a, I guess a shady veterinarian yeah. who will like treat a human being. I imagine there are laws against that. I would imagine. I would also imagine that that there's a lot of pe- there should be a lot of people that are ticked off about that. Uh, I know many people with Lyme who would
0: gleefully jump at the chance to uh, experience this
1: vaccine. Yeah, that pun went right over your head, didn't it? Yeah. That's okay. I missed it.
0: (laughs) And that brings us to this week's pick for the basket of deplorables.
1: Mark, who's being added to the basket of deplorables? Um, well, this might come as a surprise to people, but I do like to be bipartisan when do- choosing the basket of deplorables because there's plenty on both sides. And this time around, I'm dumping Rachel Maddow into the basket of deplorables. Ooh. You know, um, for those who don't know, Rachel Maddow, uh, controversial liberal news anchor uh, for MSNBC. She hates Trump. Hates him. Especially if you saw her reaction to the declaration of his victory last November. Uh, it was pretty melodramatic. That doesn't make her deplorable per se, just an obviously biased journalist. Which is why she's on MSNBC. Correct. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't make her deplorable either that um, she's got this continuing saga of the Trump-to-Russia connection she's been putting on her show. But a tweet before her show last Tuesday... Breaking, we've got Trump's tax returns tonight, 9 p.m., MSNBC. Seriously. Justin. If, yes, you, Mark. if you saw that tweet, what would you think Rachel Maddow was going to reveal after months of speculating about the Trump-to-Russia connection on her show?
0: I would imagine that she was going to release some part of his tax returns that showed he had paid or received money from a,
1: a company tied to the Russian oligarchy. When you say breaking, seriously, and you tweet out tune in, yes, you're shamelessly promoting your show. But you would imagine you've got something big to if I were not a avid consumer of media, I would imagine that this was
0: like a we're interrupting your normally scheduled program breaking. Exactly.
1: But, you know, understanding that this is NBC, it, like, obviously it's a ratings grab. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so you would you would think that it would be kind of a big deal. But instead, uh, at the start of her sh- show, she goes on and on and on for over 20 minutes telling the backstory of how we got here. Like a retelling of some bad political thriller made for TV movie, which unfortunately somehow has become our reality. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) these days and only to find to finally reveal trump's tax return his 1040 sheet two pages of it to be exact which stated that trump made 153 million dollars in 2005 and paid 38 million dollars in taxes which correct me if i'm wrong uh
0: was what we knew in june of the election cycle
1: or the last tax returns that he had made public was in 2005 and she, and she went on to defend and say – to defend and tell people, listen, we broke the story correctly. We were totally transparent about what we got, and we told the story the way we had it. That, except it's a non-story. That's great, Rachel. Yeah, except you didn't have a story. You had no story. There's no – listen, and it doesn't have to be like this obsession with Trump's tax returns. It's like, yes, I get it. As a president, yes, in full transparency, you should disclose your, tra- your tax returns. And uh, oddly enough – it's uh been debated as to how she got the tax returns, because supposedly she received them from uh Daily Beast contributor, uh, David K. Johnston, uh, who she discussed the who's a financial journalist who she she discussed the forms with. They had been somehow given to him in an envelope at his postbox at home. Weird how they got there. we don't know. Some say somebody just tipped them off. others say others say maybe Trump planted it. Or dumped it in there. Or somebody from Trump's campaign. That would be fantastic. That would be fantastic and an excellent troll job from the, from, from, uh, from the POTUS. Well, here's the thing. I believe <coughs> two nights prior,
0: Maddow had just got done chastising the media for continually covering his tweets and how she was no longer covering tweets and her viewership and the quality of her show went up and blah, 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 blah. Two days later, this.
1: Yeah. Reporting, non-stories. And now people will call this fake news. It's not fake news. What I call it is bad news. It's it's bad, bad reporting. It's bad reporting. It's bad journalism. Not the accuracy, but the content playing it up. Making it a ratings grab. You know when you tweet that and you're a reporter who's been going on and on about the Trump-Russia connection. You know people are going to see that and go to your show. You know what you have. You know you don't have what people are actually going to look for. And yeah, you can blame the people for expecting it. But you can also blame the reporter for – playing it up, which is what so many journalists and news media outlets are doing right now. And it's doing the country and the people not a bit of good. (laughs) And finally, it's time for our Tulsi Gabbard Star Star Spangled Spangled
0: Awesome Awesome Award. Award.
1: Justin, who is receiving an awesome award this time? It is controversial. You may not agree with us, but this week...
0: We are awarding our Star Spangled Awesome Award to Mr. Colin Kaepernick. Yes, controversy, NFL.
1: Full disclosure. Yeah. He's not getting an awesome award for taking a knee. No. That is not what he is getting the award for. But in light of taking a knee, some interesting things have developed. Colin Kaepernick
0: pledged to donate $1 million from jersey sales this November uh, after the the outrage over his taking a knee and he's making good on that promise yep as of december 1st he had allocated over two hundred thousand dollars of that money in twenty five thousand dollar grants to causes such as silicon valley debug just cause urban underground mothers against police brutality and the black youth project 100 He's also donated equal amounts to Gathering for Justice, Justice League, Communities United for Police Reform, and the I Will Not Die Young campaign.
1: Yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing agree or disagree with the politics, agree or disagree with the statement. The guy is genuinely giving out, you know, and trying to do some good and trying to do charity work. Um, we don't know how much more charity work he's going to be able to continue to do Yes, because, uh, he has recently opted out of his contract with the San Francisco 49ers and is currently unemployed as a football player.
0: But if you keep buying his jerseys and burning them. I'm confident he will continue
1: to donate the proceeds from those burned jerseys to worthy causes. We think so because he hasn't stopped. Just recently, he donated over fifty thousand dollars to Meals on Wheels, uh, which is in talks of getting their uh, their budgets uh, slashed by, by from federal funding. Right, trying uh, to bring
0: their budget back to new and
1: new, I, yeah. And I refuse to deny the irony of him making that donation. Uh, after Donald Trump kind of threw, yeah, some, threw shade some shade at Kaepernick at, at his uh, Monday rally, because we all know the president loves a good rally. He's still on the campaign trail. Yeah, he's campaigning for uh, 2020 already. Yeah, and th- there's also th- this this other news that he got a plane.
0: Yeah, so there is currently an internet campaign, a Twitter campaign, that's trying to uh, send desperately needed aid to Somalia, where they're in the grips of famine and drought. Um, He's part of that campaign, but he was involved with getting uh, Turkish airlines to supply a 60-ton cargo plane that they could fly food and water to the people there. We'll link you to that in the show notes. but. He recently posted a video to his Twitter campaign, uh, which he stated that in 24 hours, their GoFundMe had raised $1 million. So that's insane. But that's you know, Colin, we've got, a, we've got a cause we're very passionate about uh, that if you want to hop on your Twitter and spread some love, you seem to have a good platform.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, listen, the guys do, look, again, the guys doing great charity work. You know, the action that spurred it, unfortunately, may or may not be uh, overshadowing the good work that he's doing. Yes. And, you know, again, despite your politics, despite how you feel about that, the you guy... Can't, you the, can't deny the guy's doing some awesome stuff. The guy is paying it forward. Uh, we'll see if a, if an NFL team decides to continue to pay him to pay it forward. Mark, you have anything you want to plug this week? I do. I want to plug and give a special shout out to the Neverland Children's Theater of Bristol and Warren, Rhode Island. They've got their big spring musical coming up this weekend called Neverland Rocks. Which is uh, an adapted script that uh, yours truly actually wrote for them. Uh, it's a combination of the storyline of School of Rock with some schoolhouse rock jams in there. And, uh, Love me just, uh, rock. and just my own crazy trippy zaniness for trying to write adult material for kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which can be quite challenging. They'll be... Uh, performing at kick mule Middle School uh, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you can go to their Facebook page at Neverland Children's Theater and uh, check it out. Tickets are probably still available. Cool. Justin. You plug in anything? No, nothing
0: to plug this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ShadesJM or uh, check out some of my
1: musings at Justinmarmusic.com. Sweet. All right. Well, that's another episode in the books of This Is Happening America. If you want to give us a shout out, you can do so at This Is Happening America at gmail.com. You can tweet us at T I H underscore America. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash thisishappeningamerica or at our website thisishappeningamerica.com. And as always, check us out on iTunes and Google Play. This is Mark. This is Justin. Signing off from somewhere, somehow, someway in the beautiful country of America. Right. Bangarang. <laughs>